You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. Welcome. We acknowledge, we wish to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississauga of the New Credit First Nations lands, which lands were previously occupied by the Seneca and Huron-Wendat First Nations. Grounded, Guided, Growing. A Time for Centering. From Scott Kearns. We just take this time to refresh our our commitment, our understanding, our ground we stand on being life itself. And I had, I had put it a different way last year, connected with my work as a social worker, um, to, to talk about good, solid mental health uh, principles. So if you go to the next slide, um, I was hoping that showed up. I like that. That's a, the earth is a jigsaw puzzle, all f- the pieces fitting together. And we base our work in this place and in our individual lives on the, the, the fact, a fact, not an opinion, not a belief, not something you have to have particular uh, understanding or faith in, but the fact that we are alive and we're on this planet and life is connected, all connected. So we base ourselves on that. And what I did last week, I just want to share, make it a little more broad with the next slide. Um, that gives you good mental health solidness because your identity is a member of that web. You, whatever else you are, you're a piece of life on that web of life, that majestic, enormously intricate web of life. And it also gives you a sense of belonging, which goes along with it. I'm, I'm not alone. Even if I feel alone today, I'm part of something pretty majestically big. And that I have an influence on it. I have an impact on it. What I didn't put this time, and we'll talk about it later in the summer, it has a great big impact on me, too. Just the word weather. Although the weather stations are beginning to become the most dramatically phrased <laughs> drama stations. But, but it has an impact. But my influence and my impact. But I went further. So I, I then I wanted to, to, to tell you. So the next slide is you. Your identity on the web, your sense of belonging, no matter where you are or what you're doing, and your influence and your impact on this marvelous thing. And then I went to others we know that aren't here. There's lots of us that aren't here in the summer, but those that you know in your life, their identity is part of that web, whether they really realize it or not, and that their sense of belonging, they, we belong together and we have an influence. And then the other one is those we'll never know people we will never know on other sides of the planet or on your block that you don't know. We're all part of that together. So the last slide is that this web of life gives us an identity, a sense of belonging, and a sense of purpose, a sense of impact. I matter on this web. I'm just asking the people to scroll through those slides again as I play, just to take in that, so you can picture somebody you haven't pictured in a while, say, that's there too. They're part of the web too. We're connected that way. And then we'll go to our sharing zone. The reading is actually a question from Resilience Org's look into the crucible of climate disaster with several brilliant climate activists. So they pose the question. 
Whether or not we avoid the worst case climate scenarios, the collapse of some aspects of modern human society may now be inevitable and imminent. From unavoidable sea level rise to the economic and social upheaval driven by the crossing of planetary boundaries and the energy transition, it's clear there will be no smooth transformation to a bright green new order. How can we grapple with and talk about the reality that our ecological, economic and social systems are rapidly changing in some frightening ways beyond our control. What should we do in our families, our communities, our nation? Offered as wisdom for the journey. Here you walk in its life. Focused Moments from Greta Bosper. Oh, yes. Um, I had decided that I wanted to speak on uh, truth, goodness, and beauty, and it seemed to me that it had to be a topic that I had previously addressed. So I did a search through the West Hill podcasts and found that, indeed, uh, we had addressed it in 2016 in June. Um, the, the, perspectives, uh, the perspective entitled to truth, goodness, and beauty uh, was there. So I, I clicked on it to listen to it. And um, it, it wasn't me. It, it was Scott had actually given them perspectives that day uh, about truth, goodness, and beauty, and it was entirely useless to me. Um, Not because he doesn't have some interesting things to say, but he was referring entirely to slides. And I had no idea what was on any of the slides. So uh, so I'm unable to bring all that wisdom from June 2016 uh, into our space today. Um, But I will, I'm sure, touch on many of the things that he did touch on. The first one of which is that uh, truth goodness and beauty, or truth, beauty, and goodness, however you'd like to put them, uh, are known as the transcendentals. And Scott talked uh, about transcendental meaning something uh, beyond, right? And I am not sure I think of it as something beyond, uh, but rather something that cannot be measured, uh, something that can't be dissected, something that can't, you know, end up on a microscopic uh, glass plate and explored. Right? That these, these three things are something that go beyond uh, our own human um, capacity to measure and explore. And so we find, uh, when we get into conversations about these things, that they're about uh, ideas rather than actualities. They're about uh, different ways that different people behold different things, and so their meaning for other people will be very different, perhaps, than they will be for yourself uh, when you mention uh, that. Uh, They come close to what I often refer to as the sacred. Uh, Does anyone, if I said the word sacred, does anyone know what I, can anyone recall what I say in the sentence after that? Okay, I was just testing to see how long I had to keep saying that sentence after that. Um, And apparently I'll keep saying it. I will always say it because that word is so dedicated two religious concepts uh, that are beyond the human, and I'd like to ground it in the very human. So when I use the word sacred, I say those things uh, that we cannot measure, uh, but those things that if we compromised them, if we allowed them to disappear, we would be compromising our very humanity. 
So those things that are sacred to us are those things that we cannot risk losing, that we cannot risk degrading, that we cannot risk taking out of hum humans and human relationship. Uh, that's what I call sacred. And so it seems that truth, uh, beauty, and goodness are those things that are sacred uh, and that they are those things that were we to disengage them from humanity, uh, we would no longer have what I would call humanity. We would be lesser uh, because of that. So in terms of the order of them, I'm going to put them in order the way I like them. And that begins with truth, uh, because truth is really about reality. Um, it's about what we can see and what we can see and what we can measure. Um, but truth, uh, as Scott's music has shown, uh, shifts and changes. So while I might be able to uh, say that this is truth right now, it might be very different later on. This is the part of the three that, was, that focused on science, on what we could know through the study of science. And some of you probably know that science began in the religious communities as they explored God's dominion and sought to understand it. And so, yeah, they were, monks were the ones, it was, a, it was a monk who was the first to do a real study in genetics and come up with an understanding of genetics. Uh, that work was the work of understanding God's domain and God's dominion. And so truth uh, was very uh, closely tied uh, to science, was also, which was also very closely tied to religion. Out of truth, uh, we can come to see things that are beautiful, right? We, can, we look at our world. We see around us things of beauty. Uh, what is on the back of Walt's shirt is not a thing of beauty to me. It may very well be a thing of beauty to Walt, uh, in which case I thought he would wear his shirt backwards. Um, but it's not a thing of beauty to me. I mean, I suppose if someone wanted to explain how, you know, the hairs on a spider's legs were, I don't know, um, I might be able to get there. But really, spiders are not in my realm of beauty. But they are in Randy Bowe's realm of beauty. Randy, who is an extreme photographer, by which I mean he uses lenses like this, uh, or this, I guess if you're doing long range or short range, um, has a thing about spiders. I can't look at most of his photography because it's about spiders. I told him one time that I had opened my car door and there's this big, huge spider eating a bug. It probably wasn't that big. It was Whitby, so it was probably more like this. And he goes, oh my gosh, you've got it eating. Did you get a picture? No, I didn't even drive for the rest of the week, right? <laughs> it was crazy. So anyway, all of which is just to say that our understanding of beauty shifts and changes. Uh, as we age, as we come into contact with different things, Scott, in his perspectives, had talked about a tile of some very uh, oddly dressed women with what appeared to be wings uh, flying around on a yellow background and how he had failed to perceive the beauty in it uh, at first, um, but came to understand it over time. And when people come together, often the their definitions of beauty, if they're very, very far apart, there is much to be gained. When we were on our, our garden tour yesterday, I, we parked a car and I got out and I said, that is a beautiful building. It is elegant. The proportions are lovely. The colors are subtle. It's just, and Scott goes, oh my gosh, I'd be so depressed forever if I had to go live in that house, right? Like we have very different understandings of what is beautiful. 
But once we come to understand what is truth and what is beauty for ourselves, uh, then we figure out the good because we want to protect those things. We want to protect the truths that ground our lives. Uh, and we will protect them uh, most, uh, perhaps closest that we, most of us have ever experienced, is we protect them in conversations with our peers, with people we love, with those who work with us. Uh, we protect those things that we think are good or those things that we think are true, often in loud arguments or at least in strained discussions over the dinner table. Uh, we tend to get to the point of saying what is good is what it is that I think is beautiful and what it is that I think is true. And I am willing to argue for those. And so uh, goodness is tied very much to those two things. But beyond our interpersonal communications, goodness is also how we act and live in the world and how we come to share and understand and evolve our understandings of truth and beauty comes from that being out there in the, in the world and seeing how others interact with it. What do they find is good? What is it that they would have an argument about? What is it that they would be willing to put their life down for in many cases? We don't tend to think about that kind of sacrifice here, but there are many places around the world where that kind of sacrifice happens because it is, it is held to, it is riveted to understandings of what is good and what is beautiful that are not understood across uh, dissonant borders. I'm going to ask you a few uh, questions and then I'm going to sort of poke at them. So if in your concept of beauty, if you were to think of the one thing in your home where you grew up, so your family of origin in that home, what would be the thing in that home that you thought was the most beautiful? Can you get that in your head? Yes, Walt, you were in your own home. <laughs> oh, nice. That's his sister. How do you take that spider thing? Oh, good. Okay. So it's another family member. Anyone else? The piano, yeah. Anything? The cat? Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Your granddaughter? Grand oh, your grandmother. I was going to say, how is your granddaughter there? Your grandmother. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. Now, what was the truth? What's the truth that you hold to, that you would be willing to have, not a rude or belligerent or yelling argument about, but what is the truth that you would hold in a conversation with another that is so important to you that you would be willing to risk that conversation. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have made that clear. Not in your early home, but just something generally about the world as we know it. Something. I'm sorry, thank you. Uh, what is it that you consider true? That kindness is innate? Emily? Okay. Fern? 
honesty. That everyone has worth no matter what their ability or disability. Okay? And now, go to goodness. Um, And I want you to think of three different things that have happened to you. What is the, the best thing in terms of good that you have ever done for yourself? What is the best thing a close friend ever did for you? And what is the best uh, altruistic or heroic thing that you have ever heard recounted? It may be something that you did, but I didn't want to limit it. Uh, So if you've heard of another heroic act, that, what would that be? Yes? Beautiful. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, Mel? Quit smoking. Very good. All right. Anyone else? Okay, and all those things that you've mentioned, the things that, that you think are true, the things that were good, and the things that were um, beautiful, if all of them either were not right or never existed or what did not happen, but one, but one of, what, of the things that ran through your head, all of them changed. Your idea of beauty changed, your idea of goodness changed, your understanding of truth changed. What would, what would be the one thing that you would say you would have to go forward with or nothing would be worth it? Okay, that's a question you can answer when you get home. Okay, Lauren? You have to love yourself. Beautiful. And that's a challenge for a lot of us, right? A lot of people have a hard time loving themselves, but that's one that Florence would say that has to last, or nothing else will. I went back to these three um, pillars of our understanding of life because I wanted to address uh, what happened here a few weeks ago when Michael Dowd spoke. And those of you who weren't here, Michael Dowd uh, travels around North America and shares uh, his extensive knowledge of climate disaster uh, with his wife, Connie Barlow, who as a scientist uh, has explored evolutionary change and uh, works to slow some of the climate change that is currently happening. And Michael, who had recently spoken in the Maritimes at three different events down there, including their, uh, their last Uh, or their first regional council event, um, came and shared with us uh, a perspective on climate disaster. And he knows, Michael knows, because we're good friends, Michael knows that I have dragged you through that conversation over and over and over again. 
Um, I waited until a few years ago uh, before I started seriously doing that, though the first work I started doing in terms of climate uh, change, as it was known then, disaster as I now refer to it now, uh, was in 1987-88. So that's when I first started working on that issue. So um, Michael has been doing that work uh, for some time. I don't want to put that down. So he knew that you already had a lot of the information that he normally shares with groups when he speaks, often in congregations, often with groups coming together to learn something new, who haven't put all those blocks together and aren't sure what, what needs to be done, don't have a picture of what will be left when we are finished our work of holding to those things of truth and goodness and beauty ourselves. What is it all going to look like when we get past that? And I think that's um, where we ended up at the end of Michael's space, Michael's conversation and the space that he created, which was one that was filled with um, fear and concern and ex extraordinary catastrophe uh, being expressed. It's not that I haven't expressed that here, but in the cohesive way which said... As, which says, as Michael, Michael did, that even if all humans were to disappear from the planet today, um, we have still messed it up so badly that uh, extreme global warming will not prevent extreme uh, melt of Arctic and Antarctic ice and will not uh, damage ecosystems that have been the norm uh, for thousands and thousands of years. In the face of that uh, conversation, which I was having with people within the congregation who were aware uh, that this had breached a place of their heart that they hadn't yet opened, um, that they hadn't really uh, thought about much beyond just, uh, you know, something that's happening somewhere, and, um, and taken it into their hearts in terms of, this is my issue. This is my world. This is the place my children and grandchildren will live out their lives. And our, our work today will make a difference. And so, will or will not make a difference. And so Michael left people in the congregation with the sense that, oh my God, there's nothing I can do to stop this. So, you know, what the hell? Might just as well have a good time, right? May as well just do the things I want to do. Um, have my pretty garden instead of my food-producing garden. Let the city continue to mow down trees because, you know, it's easier than it is to mow grass uh, with trees in the park. Um, let us continue to support the, the urban sprawl that allows us larger homes, if not longer, commutes. I may as well just forget dealing with any of that or challenging any of that. It also made people think, okay, um, um, I've been doing all this, um, but that's not enough. So what else can I add to my already frantic pace? Um, because I don't want that to happen. I've always said I'm not going to let it ha happen. So I've got to blah, 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 and reach the level of stress and hysteria that often leads to severe depression and 
an inability to act at all. Those are two. The third one is, let's create some resilience so that we can help figure out how the world is going to function in the next little while and do everything we can to bring about the systems in which that will happen. So some of you will know uh, that I posted to Facebook an article uh, this week by Megan Coleman, and it was from that um, set of articles that Vilma told you about on resilience.org, which holds the premise that Michael shared with us that, you know, we're all going to die. You were all going to die anyway, just telling you. Um, but but, we're, but the, the earth, as we have known it, is dying as well. And in the face of that, what on earth can we do? What can we do? And Megan Collins was the second article in that series. And she begins by talking about the Morris dancers in, uh, in Britain. Does anyone know what the Morris dancers are? Um, they dance the maypole and bring in spring. Uh, you can see them if you're, if you're visiting around that time of year. You'll see men dressed in these crazy, bright costumes with bells all over them and hats. And they did a Morris dance on the first Sunday in May every year. Or it might have been actually tied... To, actually, it was Whit Sunday, so seven Sundays after Easter. Uh, they would dance the Maypole to sing in spring. But in 1914, they became aware, uh, Europe, or England became aware that most of their men were gone to the war. And the war was providing a 70% death rate. 70% of the men that went over there were not coming back. And so when it came time to dance on Whitsunday, who was going to dance? There just weren't men there to do it. And there weren't going to be men there afterward. So the women stepped up and said to those men who were still around, who were too old to go over to the war and who were too old to dance, teach us the dance. Teach me how to do the dance. Let me know how to do it and I'll dance the Whitson dance. Well, of course, that was not okay with a lot of people. Men had always danced it, uh, and having women dance it was just, like, wrong. How could they possibly do that? How could they bring spring in the way that the men had done it long beyond any memory of the community? But they said, rather than lose the dance, rather than lose that ancient tradition, because the men that know it are dying off, those who can't sing it, or can't do it because they're too old or dying off and can't share it with us. And the others who may have remembered it and brought it home to our communities will be so few. Would you rather lose it forever than let someone take it on in a new way and a new understanding and dance spring into being? Megan Coleman turned that story into the story of our resilience, our needing to find new ways to do things, of letting go of systems that have functioned and privileged us low these many decades, if not centuries, and finding new ways to be part of that resilient change 
uh, as the dancers around the maypole uh, were able to do. And she says that what is happening and what we're seeing happen is that most of us, not here, but most of the people in the world, because of the challenges coming down, those that know of them often retreat into their own story. They retreat into their own fears. They retreat into what is the easiest thing for them to do without rebuke, without censor, without embarrassment, is to just be who they are and live that out in a level that does not draw any ire from anyone. But Megan Coleman said the thing that is the most important thing for us is not to turn in on ourselves, but to turn outward to one another, to have the conversations that we may be afraid to have, uh, to make longer tables, she says, so that more people can sit down for the conversation, to create resilient communities, to create communities where these kinds of things can be discussed, options offered, uh, the ones that might be good enough to try, carried out, tested, taken to another community. That we have to learn to turn toward one another. And so this is the work that West Hill has been doing. We haven't been cleansing worship of theological language. We haven't been getting rid of a book that has more negative stories in it that tear our hearts than it does good stories that uplift us. It hasn't been denying uh, the divinity of one man who walked this earth and everything that fell out from that belief. That's not what we've been doing. We've been turning toward one another. We've been calling one another into community. We have been inviting other people to hear our voice. Vilma's voice, Betty's voice, Frank's voice. We've been inviting people to hear that voice to enter into conversation. And this is pretty much... I have to think about this. This may be the most important reason that I didn't get fired by the United Church of Canada. Because this is the United Church of Canada's work too. This is the work they have always undertaken. Stretching boundaries, refusing to draw a line, always saying, you belong, you belong, you belong, so that conversation could be richer. So that the voices that share their truths, their, what they understand as good, what beauty means to them, could be longer and deeper, and the choices that come out of them better. This is not the time for us to say, well, we weathered that one, let's just get on with our own little business. This is the time to say, this is the work that we must do here and in Oasis communities and in the United Church of Canada and in the Anglican community, which is broken-hearted at this point. This is what we need to do. We need to be witnesses to the beauty and the goodness and the truth that comes to each of us 
when we turn toward one another. And so I invite you to be about that work in your personal lives, in the circles in which you engage beyond this place, here, within our denominational structure. I invite you to be about that work because if anything is going to hold your heart during this time, it will be your witness to the devastating times we are in and that our being together in those will make us stronger, more resilient, and help us imagine our way to a future we yet can't conceive. Thank you. Now I have one more reading. Uh, Many of you will know um, the name Eli Weissel when I mention it. He was uh, an author of the book Night uh, and spent so much time in concentration camps uh, and wrote into that book the horror with which they lived. But this one paragraph is about his encouragement to the people who have just arrived. Imagine, you're living in inhuman conditions. You're watching death in the most degrading and horrific ways. You're seeing horror played out each day with new passion that you can't possibly register in your heart. And then a whole new group of people arrives, and you want to address them. You want to welcome them. You don't want to tell them what you just saw yesterday and break their hearts too soon. And so this is what he said. There is a long road of suffering ahead of you. But don't lose courage. You've already escaped the greatest danger, selection. So now, muster your strength and don't lose heart. We shall all see the day of liberation. Have faith in life. Above all else, have faith. Drive out despair and you will keep death away from yourselves. Hell is not for eternity. And now a prayer, or rather, a piece of advice. Let there be comradeship among you. We are all brothers and sisters. And we are all suffering the same fate. The same smoke floats over our heads. Help one another. It is the only way to survive. Amen.
there's this thing about broken hearts. Sometimes it seems that they just never stop breaking. But the truth is they never stop coming back together again. They never stop welding those broken pieces together with a strength that is needed for the next time. Because break again they will the next time. And then come back together with that welded strength again and we go on and on and on. There is no end to the breaking of our hearts. And we must not ever let there be an end to their healing so that we go forth encouraged by one another with our hearts wrapped around one another. And we act in ways that tomorrow would look at and say, you have done well. You have done well. Go in peace. podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.